Right, on, let's get into part two of our Rare Earths Spectacular with Brett Hazelden and Darren Holden, who are the managing director and chair of OD6 Metals. Now, make sure you head back to part one, have a listen to the Rare Earths intro. We gave an overview of Rare Earths, their history, their primary uses, how they're formed in the ground, specifically the difference between the carbonatite rare earths and the clay rare earths, uh, the metallurgical processes to extract them, and why there is a run for them in the current market. Now, part two, we go into who the first rare earth producers were globally from America, China, Myanmar, and then Australia's role as the fourth biggest rare earth producer, which is currently only coming from one mine. That's Linus's Mount Well, but who is next in line to start producing in Australia? Well, you'll hear it in this episode. So, let's get into Rare Earth Part 2. Here we go. Copy, Welcome to part two, Darren and uh, Brett, I won't ask you how you are, I'll just ask you half an hour ago, because we're just we're <laughs> continuing on from part one. Um, look, everyone go back and listen to part one if you want a good overview of Rare Earths 101, and this, in this part two, I want to get into project-specific, who the players are, how the history is, and where it's shaping up. So, China, the foundations of Rare Earths, you'd say, in production. Well, Man Pass was probably the original one out of America. So they were back in the 50s and that was the Americans looking for stuff. And then China obviously took on from there. And China are currently the biggest the like biggest. biggest producer of rare earths. Yeah, so they'll produce about 80% of the world's rare earths at the moment. And yep. then downstream process it. They'll be downstream processing 90 plus percent of it, the, the rare earths in the world. And they, um, as I said, the, the date is a bit um, confidential in a way for coming out of China. Like, did yeah. you say it's... Uh, Trying to figure out how they do it and how that where they do it um, is obviously a little bit tricky. Um, there's a lot of sort of anecdotal information. There are a whole heap of papers around as well, but they don't go into the exact detail of how to extract it. Um, they do put a lot of um, if they've got the clay-based ones, they're putting a lot of acids or they're putting certain uh, reagents out onto the sides of mountains, put it at the top, and it all drains down to the bottom and collect it. So it hasn't been historically environmentally friendly. Um, so that's um, had it, it's had its issues. That's where you see the European Union and other guys starting to legislate. We want it from, um, not like Blood Diamonds was once upon a time, we want it from good um, sustainable sources going forward. Yep. So that's where they're trying to get a lot of those up and running. Yeah, we read a paper recently that was um, extracting rare earths, a Chinese paper, extracting rare earths from uh, coal because coal will concentrate rare earths as well. So can they extract it from the flue gases or in an ashing process from the ash burning from coal? So if we have to make a clean green metal for the future burning coal to do so is probably not the most <laughs> sensible thing <laughs> so, well uh, the words bit better than the acid on the mountains i think if you're going to rate them <laughs> um so what about australia so australia is uh, fourth biggest producer in the world and there's only one mine that produces so that's uh, mount world which is linus um so i've got some figures there they've got about um, 20 million tons of uh, reserve in there and they've got quite a high grade. So their NDPR, if we look at where the bulk of the cash comes from, their NDPR grade's almost 2%. So that's really, really high. And then as you go to the next players in Australia, they start to drop to 1% or less um, in terms of those. So hence, they've been able to get up and running. Um, so the Mountain Pass guys, uh, they're the third biggest producer out of America. Uh, and then obviously Myanmar and uh, uh, China being those other bigger producers. So 
in terms of the, the bulk of the production in the world. So with Linus, is that 2% NDPR? Is that the one there, that's what they're making, the only rare earth they're making the money out of? Effectively, yeah. They'll still be selling off um, a lot of the others. So generally, it's almost like byproduct credits to something. To something. You, yeah. you produce 15 element mixed rare earth concentrate and then you'll sell it to a refinery and then they'll start splitting it all up into the 15 different elements. Mm. For the cerium and lanthanum, you might get two bucks a kilo. The NDPR, you'll get $100 plus a kilo. And for dysprosia and turbium, I think it's up to $2,000 a kilo. Yeah, yeah, even I think. And, and and Linus, you've done a great job with that project. Uh, it's not that far from Laverton. So it's right amongst existing infrastructure for 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 mining and and, and the, the local knowledge of mining. Obviously, the loads are in place and the, um, I guess the gas pipeline must go very close to it and they're utilising that in some form uh, for their energy. So it's real very fortunate location to have have such a major deposit um but they, but they don't do a concentrate so they don't actually take it downstream too far so they were shipping a concentrate off to malaysia a lot of the time so now building a uh, uh leaching and cracking plant down in kalgoorlie yeah they got in a little bit of strife in the media and from some protests in malaysia because a lot of the carbonatites have quite a high thorium content which is radioactive and so um uh, as a result, we got to manage that uh, going forward. We, the clay rare earths don't seem to have the same kind of issue, but you know, still on the online, it's uh, yeah, it's a quality operation and a big company now. Yep. Do you have their market cap there, Brett? Don't have their market cap, but it was multi-billion dollars last I looked at it. I yeah. think it was eight billion, but I could be wrong there. It could be five billion, but it's a big number. So wait, so but what? then Linus is actually again planning to ship it from Kalgoorlie to America to do the next step as well. Okay, so eight point three five billion. There you go. Their market cap, and so they the capital they had to put in to get that project up and running back in when was it early? Uh, it was six two thousands or something two thousand tens. Yeah, so that was obviously in that billion up in that billion dollar ish range. I don't think it was back then because obviously inflation's gone through the roof. Yeah, well, it's glad they've got it in then than now. Yeah. Yeah. So they are building as we speak. I can't remember what the numbers are that they're spending on. I think there's probably $600 million on that um, uh, Kalgoorlie plant or $500 million. And then they're gonna, they've got the incentives to go to the US and build that downstream processing. But obviously with uh, cash flow, makes life pretty easy. Whereas a lot of the juniors that are trying to get stuff up now in Australia, um, it becomes hard. And then the logical next person that's going to get something up is uh, Luca at the moment. So again, they've got some cash flow uh, from obviously the Mineral Sands project. Um, but they're looking to treat the stockpiles of monazite that they've been stockpiling that someone had the great forethought of for the last 10, 15 years to keep on stockpiling it. Um, but they've also been funded by government to get that up and running. So they, they stockpiled it to further prove the metallurgy to figure out how to get it out? Was that the theory? I think it was just someone said we might be able to use that one Later day on. for something. Yep. Um, so I don't think they've ever found that person. I think I asked the question the other day of someone, and uh, they, they're going to find whoever was the smart person that said, yeah, we should stockpile that. It's a bit like gold mines. Um, we used to stockpile the low grade, and everyone says you'd never actually treat that. It's a bit like cow tails as well. You never ever treat that. But um, Well, they, they paved the paved Tannen Street with um, Tellurides, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Tellurides in there with the, containing all the gold uh, because it may not be of any use, but yeah. of course we can get that stuff out now. Well, there was gold that was... Oh, I don't know how many tons, but the native copper at DeGrosser, because they was just literally peeling native copper out of the out of the open pit. They all just threw it in a stockpile, and I'm not sure if they processed it or not. But um, you don't want to put it in a mill native copper, do you? Because it kind of it's a metal. It, well, it comes out because they were pulling the, when they were doing the DSO, like literally 
pure copper and it'd go through the mill and it'd come out as these pancakes because it was that malleable. It just go through the crusher and yeah. it's just big pancake and native copper. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, so I so I look at obviously they're they're in just processing old dirt or are they looking to actually extract it out of their current stuff as well? So they've got a bit of current stuff, but they're. Pr- predominantly going to produce it out of their old dirt. They're also looking to bring a couple of their other mines from over east, um, the, those stockpiles over here as well. So technically they've only got a, a nine, ten or nine year mine life. So it's not actually a big mine life, but I think it's a field of dreams type scenario where you build it and then you can actually then have northern minerals, which they've just done a deal with um, to bring pr- product down. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole heap of other guys as well, or we could even potentially put in our carbonate in the back end of their plant as well. And suddenly you've got a refinery there that accepts a lot of other people's product. So, and that refinery is for a carbonatite refinery, is it? The it's a monazine. Yeah, yeah. So it's taking a product uh, and moving it much further down the down the chain. In the, so that would be producing oxide at the back end. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what you put in the front end, uh, I guess, can be you know a, a Luca uh, with their plant. They're putting it in Yabo is essentially working on on monazite. Uh, mineral sands, but they're ultimately at various stages through that will be able to take potentially other product from other styles of, of mineralization as well. We don't, we don't really know yet, but that's what it seems to be from stuff that's been said in the public domain. Yep. And now we've got in the news, I've got it last year. So, Gene Rodart in, invested into Arafura. Um, so, they're South Australia, aren't they? No, the Northern Territory. Northern Territory. Just sorry. north of Alice Springs, up near Ailawan, which is only about 100 k's or so north of Alice Springs within that, that part of the world. Yep. On the Stuart yeah. Highway. Oh, God, can't wait for a job application to work in that heat. <laughs> um, now, um, another carbonatite deposit, is it? I believe so. Yeah, well, it's definitely a hard rock. I yeah, imagine. it's a hard rock of some description. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to check that because I've actually done quite a bit of geology in that area and I should know the answer to that. Um, so but it's a, yeah, it's a hard rock system. So they're looking at hard rock again. They're going to have the cracking and leaching and they're looking at a refinery as well. So... They released their um, updated costs, I think, um, late last year. So they're looking at somewhere between one and a half billion to two billion dollars, depending on escalation. And we're so all chuck another sixty percent on that. But the rate, the every capital blowout you see at the moment. Yep. So uh, I think they're looking at getting funding from Northern Australian for infrastructure fund. But they've also done a deal with, I think, it was Hyundai, wasn't it, Darren? That they've done a deal with. Who was that? Uh, Arafura. No, oh, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. So uh, hey, it's actually it is uh, a appetite vein system. Appetite. Being a phosphate mineral rather than uh, one, as well. uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's Nolan's Ball near Aylawan in um, in the Northern Territory. Is that so? It's another style. I think I mentioned earlier, or oh, in part one, that you know there were people looking at rare earth pegmatites and those kind of things. It'd be more akin to that where you're getting the, the high phosphate, high phosphate minerals. And what do you think's attracted Jane to Arafura? Why she picked that one? Or was that got the war chest? That's a good question. Um, it's a question for Gina. Yeah. You should have her on. Oh, gee, yeah. I think, I think she, well, between her and Twiggy, I don't think they do interviews. <laughs> Full stop. Twiggy likes interviews. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe not with a junior yeah. podcast. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think in part, I can't obviously speak for, for either Andrew Forrest or Gina Reinhardt, uh, but they, they, they've rode a very, very good boom and been very, very good at mining um, in the iron ore space. And they're now looking about where the, where the future industries may lie. So we're seeing an industry shift. They are miners, not explorers. So where can they get involved uh, and get stuck into potential development projects at that stage and bring their 
expertise, potentially, their structure, their contacts, their capital, obviously, really, really important. Um, and there are a few shovel ready as well from the old approval side of things. So unlike us, we've got a few more years to go through the approval process. They're actually ready to go. So that probably attracts people from that point of view. Yeah. Hastings is probably getting close as well as the next one. Yep. So okay. tell us about Hastings. So Hastings, um, Hastings Technology, they're called, um, they're listed on the SX. I think HAS is the ticker. HAS, yeah. HAS. Uh, they have the Yangabana Carbonatites, Gifford Creek, north of Gascoigne Junction. Um, they're ferrocarbonatites. Uh, they form mainly in dikes rather than plugs. We've got a pretty substantial resource there. Uh, yeah, good grade. 16 to 20 million tonnes, just yeah. looking at my bits. Really excellent NDPR concentrations in there. 0.35% so. NDPR. That's the, the that's the total. That's their oil reserve. Yeah, yeah. Which is, what's that as a proportion of their total? Uh, I think it's 20 or 30%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it was higher than that, right? So we might check that on some of the deposits. Um, uh, they've been working through a process and, and getting their mets and all those kind of things right, start on their development uh, cycle through there, so the through feasibility. Um, and uh, they have worked a relationship with an overseas Canadian or American, I believe. Uh, so they've got Neo Metals. Um, Neo Metals. Downstream. So it's yeah. based, it's a Canadian company, but it's based in uh, Estonia, I think. Yeah. Okay. It's some um, Eastern European yeah, right. country. Um, but they've got the downstream uh, production capability. So, hence, uh, when you're looking to find something, as I mentioned, you've got to get an off-taker, and the off-taker needs to be bankable. So, they're listed, um, made sense that there's a tie-up there. And then Andrew through, Andrew Forrest through Wailu, then put up a uh, virtually convertible note to a large extent um, to actually get that deal done and then sort of almost integrate the two companies, but they're not integrated yeah. from that point of view. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, next door to um, Hastings is uh, Dreadnought that have been doing an excellent job of, of proving up uh, mineral resources there. I think first resources were out just before Christmas um, and they look like they've got some uh, good grades, if not better in places than, than what's there at Yangabana. Clearly another system. Uh, so Yangabana is Hastings. Yangabana is Hastings yep. and, and a thing that Dreadnought called Yin. So you've got Yin and Yang. Next <laughs> to each other. Uh, there, uh, uh, again, ferrocarbonatites principally in dikes, though they're yep. hunting for a source. Uh, there's a few juniors working in the area, a private company called Augustus Minerals uh, that I have a little bit of involvement with um, that is looking to IPO. They've got some excellent ground through that area also. Uh, there's real rush on in that district. Uh, there's Kingfisher Mining. There's some monazite, high-grade monazite discoveries to the south. Closer to Gascoigne Junction, um, ODE, Odessa Minerals, that uh, have uh, picked up some ground in the area that are working through that also. So the 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 district is emerging, and the Gascoigne has always been a bit of a it's sort of a place that you drive through on your way to the Pilbara, right? And whilst there's been some copper exploration, there's been got this this the sapphires up there, and there's uh, a, a molybdenum resource and a few pegmatites through there. It's 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 been one of those in between places. Uh, but it seems that it's, it, it's coming into its own and it's going to have some great minds in the future. And overseas, so you've got Peak Rare Earth, the Tanzania. Tanzania, that yeah. Big, big prod, that's a pretty big deposit. Really big project. And then in the Clay Rare Earth space, um, we have IXR, Ionic Rare Earth's uh, head office in Melbourne, I think, but they've got a project in Uganda. Yep. Uh, Makutu. Uh, project that they're going through sort of development or resource feasibility type stages on. There's a couple of other ones in Malawi and other places like that as well. Uh, there's a, 
a recent clay-based one that's been found in, where was it, Brazil? Brazil, yeah, Meteoric. Meteoric, that's yeah. had some interesting really high grades. Um, interesting for, for clays, for sure, yeah, for clays. So, so the, oh, the the common theme with Arafura, Hastings, Iluka, the next cab's off the rain, they've got the off, the capital and the offtake. That's a big... <laughs> the, yeah, the, the offtake, they haven't necessarily got all the capital yet, Iluka has, um, Hastings and others are still working through... I was like, Gina and Twiggy haven't given all... I only gave a portion, yeah, so... Ah, uh, right. Northern Australian Infrastructure Fund and some of the others are putting up, but they haven't yep. got the full total yet. So um, they'll get there, no doubts, and that's obviously uh, we need another dozen mines probably. So. They've, got, they've got to keep a little bit of the money back so to save it for some of the great you know, new deposits that are coming along, right, for the great clay, clay rare earth deposits. Well, we're, just, uh, we're just about to get uh, into that. So and this is where the, the clay rare earth, so where yourselves at OD6 sit. Just tell, we'll revisit from episode one. Tell us a bit about, I guess, the the difference in the grade, but the capital and operating costs for carbonatites compared to rare earth oxides. So we're talking only rare earth. Sorry, we're talking the Arafuras and Hastings. They're sort of anywhere from six, seven hundred million dollars up to multiple billions of dollars worth of capital costs, mm-hmm. and their operating cost per ton is high, but they've got a higher grade, so their cost per total rare earth product is obviously going to come down from that point of view. Uh, so they're going through, keep it really simple, they've got to crush it, they've got to screen it, they've got to drill and blast it, they've got to grind it, so there's a lot of high intensity capital requirements. Heated. Yep. And you've got heated as well, that's another good point. So And all the clay all similar. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So you've actually got to put a lot of energy into it, so hence your operating cost is relatively high, whereas, and then once you've got all that done, you then stick it into solution, add your acid or whatever you need to do, extract out your rare earths. Uh, whereas highly, highly carbon intensive too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think Arafura put out a, a, something the other day saying this is our path to carbon neutral over by 2050. So an interesting process and how they plan to do that. Whereas with the clay side of things, um, it's already had all that hard work done it. So we don't need to crack it. We don't need to leach it. We don't need to grind it. All we need to do is dig it up and stick it into the leach tanks um, or into a heap leach and then put the acid in there. Now, obviously, the grade differential is there. So we've got 0.1%. Uh, 0.15% uh, trio versus these guys being 1% trio. So there's a factor of 10 difference, but we don't uh, have those upfront capital costs. We'll probably be looking at, so IXR is always an interesting example. So that clay based out of Uganda, uh, they're quoting anywhere between an 80 million US startup to a 300 million total, which I don't think um, that's for a heat leach process. Um, Whereas for us, we'll probably be looking more either heap leach or that leach will probably be at that higher end of that sort of uh, margin. But we've still got to figure out what tonnage and production targets and everything that we can't talk about nowadays with ASIC and ASX um, breathing down our neck. But it sort of gives you a scale that you need to get to to figure out where the, where the profitability is as well. So the Q, I, IXR, was it? IXR. IXR. So IXR, so I guess is that the at the forefront of the clay rare earths at the moment at the moment them and there's also the, China, the chinese have been doing it for decades chinese are the they yeah. were the foundation yeah. that was they were the first before carbonatites was it the yeah clay rare earths yeah so a lot of the clay rare earths originally before the carbonatite mining came along really so yep. and now we've sort of come back to clays a bit yep. and ixr is also looking at a little bit of a mixed thing so they've got to have the mine in uganda they're looking at having something in the us now as well to do the um probably the oxide production and then they've got a facility in Belfast as well that they're looking to use to do a metal or a recycle metal. So yep. everyone's looking at how the whole downstream and the whole uh, side mod, the life cycle of these rare earths actually work. So what, I guess from your perspective, Brett, how did, what was it like going into the, this clay rare earths 
new genre of mining going from predominantly everything else, especially as a metallurgist? Like, was it one of, probably one of the biggest challenges in your career? Look, it's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a challenge. I think um, you're bringing a little bit of everything that, from your background and experience. So I sort of, I like relating it to gold mining because, again, the oxide and refractory that we spoke about before, it's very similar. Um, we're dealing with uh, oxide ore and then we stick it into some leach tanks. It's been done for years. And yeah. um, that, the only difference is instead of dealing with just gold uh, or silver, uh, now we're dealing with 15 elements. So uh, you want to get all those elements out and then trying to get those elements out, it becomes complex. Um, but you get it concentrated out and then you send it to someone to uh, split it all up. So from that point of view, there's not necessarily anything new in terms of some of the technology advancements that's out there. It's just how do you apply the right metallurgy and what reagents you need to add to get it into solution. And then how do you make it economic? And uh, that's probably also part of my background as well. So trying to go through the economic modelling, trying to figure out what investors will want to actually see to invest in it. As we mentioned earlier, a lot of investors like 10 baggers, but you need to get your payback periods in sort of three to five years. Um, if you can't get it in that, then people go, oh, this is a little bit hard. And then you need sort of patient long-term money. So look, it's, um, I think it's all doable. Ansto's got a good reputation. They've done a lot of work for a lot of different clay-based guys in Australia and hard rock guys. So the knowledge is there. There's a lot of knowledge in China that you obviously can't access that easily, but um, you can do it. It's all doable. It's been done before. Yep. And what's, I guess, Newsflow, we'll sum it up. Newsflow for you guys coming up for this quarter in the, I guess, 2023. What can you expect yeah, so in ID6? We've got um, a whole heap of metallurgy samples uh, in with being a metallurgist. I'll talk about metallurgy first. But <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually drilling as we speak, but um, let's talk metallurgy. So everyone's sort of hanging on, can you get it out? So if you only get 20% recovery, well, it's going to be pretty awful. But um, we've got uh, metallurgy samples out there from a wide range. So we'll see some poor results and we'll see some really good results. So we try to test virtually that whole range just to see where the geo-metallurgy relationship actually exists because the area is so big out there, uh, we might find that that's really good high grade, but the best spot's over here, which is a little bit lower grade, but um, it's got really good metallurgy recoveries. We do, we do with our um, with our assaying techniques, we use an acid leach, uh, a four-acid digest for uh, assaying. And uh, if you want to assay for the total rare earth content, you can do a, a fusion assay. Um, that will essentially... That will be like doing a fire assay for gold uh, when your only processing method is going to be a, a cyanide leach or something like that. So uh, so we think that our assay method is, is it's not necessarily telling us what our recovery is going to be, uh, although other companies have claimed that they're doing a, uh, an acid digest is, is their recovery, but that's not actually the case. But um, so as we're going through and exploring and we're looking at our grades, those grades are reflecting what our potential target um is now as brett said he mentioned the word geometallurgy or geometallurgy uh and that is the process where we're using geology uh, metallurgy interlinked so our target areas based on our um airborne geophysical surveys and things as brett says some of them are 250 square kilometers that's 250 million square meters uh, you times that by 20 meters thick and you start to get some absolutely bonkers numbers um but it's a case of which portions of those or which ones of those have got the best metallurgical characteristics so we're essentially having to do a lot of these things progress them together we're not going to drill out a whole resource and then make sure we get the mess right it's the parts of the resource where the metallurgy is going to be right and we can't expect it all to be the same although some of it you know we think will be quite uniform but uh we, we see a number of different colors of clays right we see some some white clays some gray clays some dark green ones uh, as they're coming out so some sit right above the granite some sit in a basin so we're definitely yeah. going to see variations yeah that's right and uh, you know you're 
you know, potentially a portion of it that a, a portion, small portion, or, or whatever could even be ionic. We generally think about acid leach on, on these things. That's what previous work seems to suggest. But we don't really know until we do the science and we, we work through it. And we've, we've got research on the go with the CSIRO, with Murdoch University, with ANSTO, all right, um, who are the forerunners of this. In fact, they're sort of coining the phrase Australian clay rare earths to make, because they did a lot of work with other rare earth explorers here to really bring this as, as essentially a new a new industry for the for the country. And we're just... We're just such an early stage in, in, in the life of that industry that we need to learn as much as possible. And that's why drawing on good researchers whilst maintaining uh, good strict business protocols. So as Brett says, we are drilling right now. We're drilling at Splinter Rock. Uh, we just drilled at uh, Grass Patch, which grass is not one of our other projects yeah. as well. We, we announced, you know, 60 or 70 kilometers of positive results in, in our drilling just before Christmas there. And we were infilling that and looking at adding a few other bits on that too. So... So back to your original question, what do we do in this quarter? Well, there'll be <laughs> some ANSTO results from metallurgy. There'll be some CSIRO results for both uh, geology and metallurgy as well. Well, not necessarily metallurgy, but just uh, mineralogy. mineralogy. Yeah. Uh, Murdoch University's done some mineralogy, so they'll come out at some stage as well. We've got drilling assay results that will come out from both uh, Grass Patch and Splinter Rock. And then uh, we're putting probably a big exploration target out there. Now, our focus is we could go put a resource on some of these things now, uh, but I think our focus is let's figure out where the best areas are and put a big resource on it all at once rather than having half a million tons or 200 million tons let's go put a, a bigger number on there type thing so the, the focus is get the area right first find the best grade get the metallurgy right and then um, you know it works we'd like to put out a scoping study but the scoping study uh, we need to have an indicated resource at least 50 percent of it with all the new ASIC and ASX rules so that'll come out maybe later this year or next year but the, the key focus for us this year is really Where's the best location out of these 250 square kilometres? We don't want 1,000 ppm. If we can get 1,500 ppm or more uh, for the first five to 10 years mine life, then suddenly your revenue stream's gone through the roof. So based on, if you anticipate like what a scoping study look like, looks like for a clay project, is it usually, it's a big ton, long mine life sort yep. of project. Yep. yep. So I think about Boddington Gold Mine, all those type of things, yep. um, similar type things are, is what you're looking at so that's with, with a lower capital as well yeah, yeah. That's right so you don't have all the crushing and the high pressure rolls crushes and uh, grinding i did a i was part of that study team that actually did the the review of that originally so yeah mm. so, but, i mean you know bauxite mining our closest mines to perth right are, are the big bauxite mines that alcoa and things have that it's those sort of scales those those um transgenerational scales things that are going to be in operation for you know into the next century yeah. and that's that's the potential that presents before us and people can do a number as well they can sit there and go just pick a number one million tons per annum times it by a grade times it by recovery suddenly you get what your revenue is mm. um so you'll soon figure out well 30 million dollars a year revenue is not going to quite cut it you want 300 million dollars worth of revenue so you can pay for your reagents and your people and and get it at a reasonable scale yep Beautiful. Thanks very much. Though. That's been absolutely sensational. Well, uh, yeah, that's I've learned a shitload, so I'd, I'd assume all listeners will as well. So, oh, we've confused a lot of people. Well, no, that's, that's, that's all right. That's how you keep them all away or fan. Just throw the big words out. No, I really appreciate your time. Yep. Thanks very much. Look forward to your best of luck for 2023. Okay. Hopefully, it's not luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's all that side. <laughs> Thank you, lads.